at this place. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! Can't wait! Good morning and welcome. It is Coffee and Sports. It is the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. Thank you for making us part of your morning routine. Whether you're watching live on Facebook right now or YouTube or maybe you're watching on Roku TV, thank you. Thank you to Northeast Streaming Sports. I am Chris and of course that is Mo. Mo, how are you this morning, sir? I'm doing great. We are a week out from Christmas coming off a crazy football Sunday and the game that we both thought would maybe be the game of the week uh, was not quite the game we thought it would be. It was a big disappointment. It was. There were a couple of big disappointments uh, this weekend. Let's start with last night's game, the Sunday night football game. It was supposed to be a showdown of AFC powerhouses with the Baltimore Ravens, who were vying for the number one seed the Jacksonville Jaguars who are leading their division, who are looking to make up some ground in the top seeding race as well. And it was close-ish early. Uh, Baltimore jumped out to an early 10-0 lead. Jacksonville made it 10-7, and that's really where the closeness ended, Mo. Interestingly enough, there were points in that game where I actually said to myself, what the heck is Sunshine doing? Who is he throwing the ball to? Can he even see the field, Mo? Well, come to find out after the game when he entered a concussion protocol, uh, that could explain some of the issues that he was possibly having later on in the game where it literally looked like he didn't know where he was throwing the ball as he was just throwing it to open grass patches out there. And like you said, we found out after the fact he enters concussion protocol. At the time, though, I was like, what the hell's going on with Trevor Lawrence? Like, he, I mean, I've never seen him be that erratic before. And we didn't know, and no one knew at the time that he was impaired. Um, and I'm sure going forward, that story will have more information as we get through the week. But that explained a lot. And if you watch the football game, Jacksonville Jaguars, they left a lot of points on the field. Um, they had opportunities to actually be in control of that football game, and they just didn't take advantage of them. And well, I'm glad you brought that up because as I'm watching – the broadcast last night and and again i i know that chris collinsworth isn't everyone's flavor if you will but i'm watching the game last night and first drive miss fuel second drive miss fuel third or fourth drive was the phantom fumble where i think he thought he was going to get hit i'm talking about trevor lawrence and he right. goes to slide and i think he was bracing for an impact that never came and he just dropped the ball Right. For, for whatever reason, the, the ball pops out. That's a turnover inside the, the 20 or the 30-yard line. And then to close out the half, they're in the hurry-up offense. They have a first and goal. You think they're going to spike the ball with you know 9 or 10 seconds to play and have a shot or two at the end zone, and they're going to at least get out of there with a field goal. And inexplicably, they try to run another play without right. spiking the football, and he throws a little one-yard out route that has no chance of getting to the sidelines and they come away with no points. Then you go into the second the second half. Things pick up a little bit, but they have a couple more drives in the fourth quarter. They don't get points out of. There was another fumble by Lawrence. I believe he had a pick in the second half as well. 
And I say all that to say this, Mo, because I'm sitting there in the middle of the fourth quarter, and Chris Collinsworth makes the proclamation that the reason they're losing this game is right there. They just can't bring Lamar Jackson down. What was he watching? Now, Lamar was great last night. But at that point, it's a 23-7 game. Right. They've left, they've left at least 12 points off the board from being inside the Baltimore, you know, 30-yard line. And you want at and that's the opportunity where you want to sit there and act like Lamar passed for 400 yards and five touchdowns, and it's a 45 to 10 blowout. And right. he is the reason why the Ravens are winning this game. He did Lamar things last night. He bought time. You know, they 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 oozed over the fact that, you know, he creates eight seconds to throw the football. And I'm not hating on Lamar here. And yes, I understand that we we have moments where we take Lamar for granted sometimes. Sure. And we're just like, oh, that's Lamar. But really, he does stuff that no other quarterback in the league really does on a consistent basis. So I, I'm not taking any of that away from him. But let's not act like he was the only reason that final score was 23-7 to last night. Jackson's, Jacksonville's inability to put points on the board when they were should have had points last night, Mo. That's why they lost the football game. Not because right. Jacksonville defense couldn't tackle Lamar Jackson. Um, I'm with you 100%. Look, Lamar does what he does, like you said. He he extends plays with his legs. Um, but if you're being uh, being uh, honest, he didn't really throw the ball that well last night. Um, he made enough plays. He probably was more effective with his legs in the run game. Like what he did with them in the run game, I think they they rushed for probably just shy of a couple hundred yards. So that's where they beat them offensively. Defensively, I thought the Ravens were okay, but like you said. Anybody that's watching that football game knows if Jacksonville doesn't not get those 12 points, it's a completely different football game. And then it becomes more situational and we would analyze it completely differently. So Lamar didn't control the football game. He made plays, but Jacksonville hurt Jacksonville. They were their own worst enemies. And he, he did it when the play happened. He did it like six minutes after the play happened. Mo, I, I'm I maybe I'm being overcritical here, but I give on the play where Jackson buys nine seconds, he's rolling to his right. He throws across his body into double coverage, mind you. And Isaiah likely goes up and makes a terrific play on the ball that I thought was going to be intercepted. I'm giving likely more credit on that play because that probably should have been an interception quarterbacks should not be throwing across their body to the other side of the field. That's not a smart quarterback play. It looked great because obviously, you know, Lamar makes people look foolish when he's dipping and diving and he actually spun out of a sack on that play. The guy had him by the shoulder pads. He spun under it. That was awesome. It was amazing. He got the ball off, but the moment he let the ball go, I was like, oh, the safety's going to pick that. Because you saw the safety cutting under. Great play by Isaiah Likely. But you can't sit there after that play, Mo, and just talk Lamar Jackson because it wasn't a smart throw. Great result, but not a smart quarterback play. Well, no, Likely bailed him out. Um, When you're watching the play, right, he spun out of a tackle. All those things he did are dynamic. But when he threw the ball, one, it was almost like a punt. It hung up in the air for I mean, it was it had a lot of air under it. But if likely doesn't go and attack the football the way he does, that what it should have been was an obvious pick. 
at, at a minimum. And he saved Lamar Jackson on that play. And I know people want to go, Lamar made the play. No, he extended the play, likely made the play. The reason why that worked and it's a highlight is because of what likely did. But again, again, take nothing away from Lamar Jackson. Take nothing away from the Baltimore Ravens. They played great as a unit last night. The Jacksonville Jaguars simply did not play great as a unit. And part of that is quarterback play. A big part of that is coaching, Mo. Uh, I don't know why we didn't spike the ball with 10 seconds to go. I That's got to be a coaching decision. I doubt Trevor Lawrence is out there just winging it on his own and making those decisions as he's running down the field. But that right there, you handle that situation better, and it's 10-3 or 10-7 going into the half. Completely different ball game coming out. But you take away the, the 65-yard pass to, to Agnew, which again wasn't, you know, wasn't much on offense. He made it into something, but initially it wasn't drawn up to be what it ended up being. Right. They didn't do anything on offense last night. No. So look, situational football to me separates good coaches from bad coaches. It does. You you, you might have a talented team, but if you're awful in situational football, you're gonna be awful when it matters the most. Um, this is a talented, talented young team, but like you said. The way they handled those 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 situations, that was terrible. You can we can all look at Trevor Lawrence, but that goes into coaching. He didn't. He it's no way he just looked at the sideline and no no this is what we're gonna do. I got I got an idea, guys. I think this will work. No, that that didn't happen. Um, they they lost this collectively from coaching to the players. It it definitely was when you say it's a team effort. The way they lost this, it was a team effort. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have JG on the show. We're going to talk all things Major League Baseball as we get ready for this pre-Christmas week. We had signings. We have rumblings about some other players. JG is going to break it all down for us on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. It's Coffee and Sports. It's the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. Hey, y'all. I'm Keith. And I'm Jory. And tune in to Hoop Dreams and Touchdown Queens every Saturday at 5 p.m. over on Sports Empire Network. And don't forget, also watch us on Roku TV at Northeast Streaming Productions. Uh, so tune in. Welcome back. It is Coffee and Sports. It's the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. We are no, now joined by JG. JG, how are G. you this morning, sir? Good morning. I'm doing good. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing well. JG, let's get right into it. We had a couple of we had a trade, we had a couple of signings. Let's start with the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks signed Guriel over well, not necessarily the weekend since the last time that we saw you, JG. Uh, but they bring back Guriel on a deal, three years, forty-five or forty-two million dollars. Excuse me. What are your thoughts on that deal? Good value for Guriel. Very good value because there's there were talks about. Him wanting to maximize what uh, you know and be a hundred million dollar uh, uh, signee uh, at times. That was the value that was talked about with Lord Escurriel. That was expected on my part too. I think as the offseason went, the value wasn't there, and that's probably why he did resign with Diamondbacks and with the number that he got. And this is a good bat in that lineup as well. It kind of keeps consistency of what this team came out of nowhere in 2023 and be a competitive team and make it to the World Series. You're adding a consistent bat who performed for you, had moments where he was the better hitter of the team outside of Corbin Carroll, and you're bringing him back. 
and adding that leadership to this clubhouse. So I love this signing. I, and I, he was, you know, as I, I talked with you guys, uh, you know, before, Lourdes Gurriel was one of my top targets for my Braves to play left field. Obviously, we went in a different direction. But I love Lourdes Gurriel and what he's going to bring, uh, what he's going to continue to bring to the Diamondbacks. And with the value, three years, $42 million, that's a good value for the Diamondbacks. That's good money for Gurriel, too. Again, it's not what he was expecting, I'm sure. But for, for the player that he is, the Diamondbacks are getting a good one returning to that clubhouse, which expectations are going to be very high this year after coming, going to the World Series. So bringing continuity, bringing a talented you know, player who's, who's going to be, who is 30 years old, He's right in the cusp of that, of that timeline. That's why why the three-year deal. And he's going to bring that offensive side with a good defensive club, a player out in left field. But he's going to bring that bat even more with a team that, again, expectations are very high in 2024 after going to the World Series. JG, we also have the trade of Glass now. And with the trade came his new deal. Uh, his new deal being at five years. He was extended five years, $135 million. What did you think of the money for Glass now? I mean, the, the ATM of the Dodgers continues uh, again, I guess. But, I, you know, you're you're signing him to that based off of projections. Because, again, we, Glass now very talented pitcher. He doesn't stay healthy, though. So this is a risk for the Dodgers more than anything else right now. Because, again, you're, you're, you're looking at it and saying, yeah, he, he can be one of the better pitchers in baseball. But how many starts is he going to miss? Throw this in two. You have a Dodgers staff that over the last three to four years has a lot of starting pitchers miss time because of injuries. Now, is that a coincidence? Maybe. Is that a is that a trend? Possibly. And I think that's something that you're gonna have to you're gonna consider as far as is there something that the Dodgers do that causes their starting pitchers to get hurt? That's something that has to be considered for Tyler Glass now, who has a long injury history so far early in his career. I think that's in the back of that'd be in the back of my mind right now. But there again, you throw Glass now, who's no longer who, who's not going to be asked to be the number one pitcher in this staff. That's Walker Bueller. Bueller's going to be returning in twenty twenty four. Bueller is the number one pitcher. You're asking Glass now to be the number two. I think that's I think that's a good spot for him because because even at Tampa, there was once he had to be, he was asked to be the number one pitcher. And he didn't pitch like the number one pitcher. So now you tell him, hey, we have a number one. You just go and pitch. And you keep us in ball games because you have a really good lineup behind you that's going to score runs. So it, it makes a lot of sense for the Dodgers to, to go get glass now. You're signing him for the projection of what he can do. Okay. I, and, again, the Dodgers, the, the, the ATM of the Dodgers is not hurting. So I'm sure they're just finding ways to throw some money around and, and be able to get players – but for for they went after this is a player that again, general manager Shohei Otani really wanted. They went and got him. So got to make got to make Otani happy. He is a talented pitcher. He's going to be a solid bat, uh, Robin to the Batman of Walker Bueller in that pitching rotation. So in a way, it's a good move for everybody around right now. General manager, hostage taker. There's a lot of different things that we can call Otani when it comes to what his hold on the Dodgers is. But let's let's step away from LA for a moment. Bellinger's market seems to be dwindling down. It looks like the Cubs and the Blue Jays are the front runners to land one Cody Bellinger. JG, where do you think would be the best fit for him next season? I've continued to say I, I think it's the Chicago Cubs. I think it's the Chicago. I think he's com he was comfortable, and as we said, as I've said to you guys before, 
a player like Bellinger needs to be comfortable. He was happy and comfortable at the time in L.A. Once he stopped performing, once he stopped performing the MVP caliber, he was no longer comfortable because the fan base turned on him. Chicago fans don't necessarily do that. And, and he performed, he, he looked like there was just a weight off his shoulders in Chicago. Is that going to be the case? I, I like to see that be the, see how that turns around. But he seemed he seemed comfortable. He seemed happy. Friendly confines of Wrigley Field would loved him. He seems like a Chicago player. I think the Cubs would be the best fit for him. And I've been saying that from day one for uh, for him since the free agency started. That the Cubs are the place that he needs to be at. Could I see him go to Toronto and be a, a, a huge bat in that lineup with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., with Bo Bichette, with George Springer? That would be a huge addition. And I think that would actually, offensively, again, the, Toronto has a lot of issues pitching-wise still, but offensively, they, you're talking about one of the better lineups in the American League if you add Bellinger to that lineup in Toronto. But for, for Bellinger's sake, and the comfortability where he fits in the best, I still think it's Chicago. And, and I think that's where he's going to end up being when it's all said and done. And then, of course, we have what may, might be the $300 million man as numbers are getting thrown out there. Uh, Yamamoto, he had a, a second meeting at the home of the Mets owner. He's requested another meeting with the Yankees. He appears to be kind of dwindling down the potential landing spots and as he's doing this, JG, it's come out that people are throwing out this $300 million number as far as what he's going to be offered or what it's going to take to bring him in. What do you make of that figure? Because last time we talked, you were talking kind of like in the, the high ones, low twos, maybe the mid twos if we had to push it. But now we're kind of in another realm with him for someone that we've never seen pitch in the U.S. So... Yeah, and, and if I'm a general manager, I'm probably I, I probably wouldn't get to sign uh, Yamamoto because I'm not going 300 million dollars. I, I I wouldn't go that high because I I don't I, I get he's pitched in the World Baseball Classic, and I get there's there, there's a lot of major leaguers that play in the World Baseball Classic, but he hasn't pitched in a hundred you know 162 game season, 30 plus starts. You know, and be able to be consistent in what in our you know in our environment in the United States. How is he going to pitch? How is he going to pitch when he goes to uh, to Arizona and the roof is uh, is open? How is he going to pitch when he goes to Miami and the roof is open there? Even because again, everybody everybody plays everybody. Even if you sign with the American League team, you still play National League teams. How is he going to pitch when he goes to Atlanta? How is he going to pitch when he goes to you know when it's when it is Chicago and it's the middle of July? It's hot as humid is there. So. I, I personally would not go this high, $300 million. And I probably, if I'm the general manager, I wouldn't get a chance to sign Yamamoto just for that reason. But as there's been more teams, and we keep talking about the teams that are interested in Yamamoto, we've had seven. I don't. I, I think we're starting to dwindle it down a little bit, and that's why I think the, Yan the Yankees and Mets have been getting a little bit more priority. I think you know the Dodgers are still in there with conversations with him. The Red Sox are still pushing. So I think we're probably down to four teams, maybe four, maybe five teams. We went from seven to eight to now four to five, and that number is going to continue to go higher because guess what? You have it's a bidding war. You know, in, in a bidding war, the higher the higher dollar uh, ends up winning. So I think that's kind of what we're seeing. That's why the, the price is going three hundred. At this point, I wouldn't do it. I turn around, I go get Blake Snell. If, I, if we're talking about three hundred million dollar contract, Blake Snell's just sitting there. 
I'm going to sign Blake Snell for five years and pay him $250 million. And I'll be very happy about that. But for some, there's, there's this hype and it makes me very weary when, the, when a Japanese player has this amount of hype, that Japanese pitcher has this amount of hype. The only I mean, we've had Otani and Darvish really are the only Japanese pitchers that have answered the hype. Everybody else, Masahiro Tanaka did not. Uh, Daisuke Matsuzaka did not. You know, you, uh, you have a lot of history, a lot of track history. When there's hype about a pitcher from Japan coming into the United States. It doesn't work out as well as everybody was hoping it would. I'm very weary about that. So, I, again, the bidding war is $300 million, but for me personally, if I'm a general manager, I'm going maybe – I would go 175 and I and we would be eliminated in that conversation. JG, appreciate the knowledge. But before you go, we got to ask you, coming off the big weekend, what's going on with your Saints? <laughs> They, they, they're they're one well again there's you know two easy weeks the back to back we had Panthers and we had the Giants uh this uh this week and both in the Superdome which I'm glad that they're you know I, I'm glad the, the the Saints players and even the fans got a you know got a little dose of reality with, uh, after the Lions game in the Superdome where the Lions fans took over the Superdome it was very embarrassing for us to have that as a, as a fan uh, base that they started showing up and just say okay you know what enough enough uh but you, you play against two weaker teams. You're supposed to beat up on two weaker teams, and they did that. Now they, they have to answer the bell again these next three weeks. And, and they're and you know they're right in the thick of things of not just the, uh, uh, the division, but they're still actually in a wild card position right now. They have the Rams game on Thursday night. If they if Saints beat the Rams, they're currently in the seventh spot. You know, they'll be leading the division until Tampa Bay plays. But they would be leading the wild card for that seventh seed. So a playoff position is still there, regard you know, for you know, whether you're in the division or whether you're in a wild card position, which is unfathomable to think that an NFC South team could be a wild card team. But I, that's kind of where we're at right now with the NFC. Defensively, they're playing. They're, this is the time where we're, we're, we're kind of getting it figured out again. They're playing lights out defensively again against two bad teams, against two bad bad offenses. I get it. I'm not. I'm not here hyping up my uh, the defense to be the best in the league right now. But they did exactly what they're supposed to do. They did not allow touchdowns in back to back games. Only only allowing field goals. So when you play against teams that are that are lesser than you, you have to take advantage of that, and they have. I'm still very weary on the offense right now. I'm st- I I know they're producing, they're scoring points again, not to what we're expecting, at least from the Saints offense for years and years and years with Drew Brees, I, but they're kind of moving the ball a little bit better. Play calling is still scary for me. I, I and the decision making of Derek Carr is still still a little bit off for me. Hopefully we can get uh, healthy with Olave who didn't play last uh play yesterday. But the offense is still kind of producing. You're getting tight end Jawan Johnson involved. Jimmy Graham is getting involved a little bit more. My goodness, it took us, what, 12 weeks to realize we have a 6'7 tight end who can still right. catch the ball? My goodness. He, and he's a red zone. Every time he catches the ball, he scores a touchdown in the red zone. Who would have thought he's the biggest freaking guy on the field? Let's put him out there in the red zone and make him do a jump ball. And even though we don't have him, throw, even though Carr throws the ball at his knees to make catches, he still catches the ball. I, I, you know, but we're in a position right now that we can make the playoffs. We're in a position to still win the division. Is that, you know, how's that? How do I feel about that? I mean, again, you, you get in the dance. You're going to, you get an opportunity to do something. You're going to be hosting. If you win, if you win your division, you host the playoff game. 
anything has happened in the Superdome. We've we've known that before. So I, I'm I'm very I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic with the last three weeks of the season. Now this is a tough game against the Rams coming up on mm-hmm. Thursday night. Traveling to LA, Rams are playing really well. Uh, Kyron Williams, who is on my fantasy team, and uh, he's he's been helping me out a lot. I, 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 he's, <laughs> he's very scary to, to play because he, he's a uh, hard-nosed runner. He's going to uh, – and Matt Stafford has kind of found a little bit of the fountain of youth right now and how he's been playing. So this is going to be a very uh, a very nerve-wracking game, and it's also the Rams, which us, us Saints fans absolutely hate. We hate with a burning passion from the days of the NFC West uh, days, uh, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s. You talk about the greatest show on turf that we had, we you know we had a battle with in the division, and then you go into the 2019 NFC Championship no call pass interference that you know, we had to endure with. So a lot of hatred for this team. That I hope that we go to LA into that beautiful stadium and absolutely ruin their Thursday and ruin their Friday <laughs> for the rest of the weekend. I'm hoping that for a fact. But uh, again, it, to answer the question, I'm uh, I'm, I'm very. Uh, cautiously optimistic on how we've been playing, but we got to make sure we do it against good teams as well. You guys you know, right JG, there. At least, uh, at least you're filling up your stadium. At least you're not selling tickets for uh, four cents a pop and no one's <laughs> coming to your games. That's all I'm saying. God, that, oh my goodness. And I get the weather was not good in Carolina, but my goodness, that's that, you know, the Panthers and Falcons game 40, you know, 45 cents was what tickets were going for. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and again, and again, the weather didn't look good. So obviously, nobody, nobody wanted, to, nobody's going to go to a game when it's bad weather and the teams are not good. So I, I mean, of course, that's going to be the case. But even for forty-five, I'll go sit in the rain for forty-five uh, cents. <laughs> I'll, I'll go. Right. Right. You know, I'll go. I'll go buy a couple of jackets and and whatnot and go sit in the rain and watch a football game for forty-five cents. They still didn't. They still didn't get. What, it was like less than half. Yeah, oh it was bad. <laughs> All right, JG, we appreciate you. We'll have you here appreciate tomorrow. You. We'll see you then, sir. As always, guys, appreciate it. Mo, always a pleasure having uh, JG always. here with us to kick off the week. But, Mo, before uh, before we move back to football, I'm going to pivot in a direction I don't think that you and I have ever pivoted to on the morning show. And for a second, I want to talk a little golf with you. A little bit of, I know, exciting, right? I don't watch golf, Ma. I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not yeah. a golf person. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't put the word exciting with golf, but sure. <laughs> yeah. But I have been enthralled, and I and I couldn't even tell you the name of it. I I want to say it's it's the PNC Championship, but that could be wrong. If we have any golf enthusiasts in the chat, they'll probably correct me. But the only reason I even have golf on my radar this weekend is because Tiger Woods is playing with his son, Charlie. And Charlie is as good of an interview that I have ever seen in my life when it comes to just quality, humorous snippets. And Mo, I bring this up because we we, we don't know what Charlie is going to be golfing-wise compared to his dad. Obviously, he's having a lot of success as a youngster. Um, and obviously he has, you know, maybe the greatest golfer in the history of golf coaching him and sure. helping him work out everything that he has going on. But Mo, I, I bring this up to say this golf in its heyday, 10, 15 years ago, it was because of Tiger. People who didn't watch golf watched golf because of Tiger. Tiger brought people into the sport and made fans out of people 
who probably never would have been there. Tiger brought golf back to a state uh, a state of relevancy in this country where it wasn't there before, right? Tiger was on ESPN weekly. Golf wasn't on ESPN at, at the 7 p.m. show <laughs> before that. Like, it wasn't. Golf wasn't in the top 10 highlights on no. ESPN, unless it was a hole-in-one or something absolutely crazy. But Tiger made it relevant. If Charlie can do a fraction of that for the sport, golf needs to embrace it. And obviously, he's going to have to be successful and he's going to have to win. Otherwise, it's not going to matter. But if he continues on the trek he's on, Mo, this is what golf needs to have a resurgence once again. And it's crazy to think about where it was before Tiger and where it is after. And, and Tiger still draws ratings. I don't think he's competed in a major in a couple of years, but the last one he competed in, what spiked? Oh, the ratings spiked. Because even far past his prime, much closer to the end of never golfing again, Tiger still draws numbers. He's unique. So if Charlie can do even a fraction of that, Mo, I'm excited for where the sport is going. And I just hope the sport embraces it. Because we all know, like baseball, golf can be a little wonky with the gatekeepers there. They, they didn't want Tiger, be. that's for sure. They're but kind it of snobbish. They're kind of snobbish. Look, I, I will say this. Those are big shoes, right, to follow that father. But what if Charlie had a career that equaled Phil Mickelson? I still think if he, had, if he had that kind of career, which is a great career, but if he had that kind of career, which isn't quite Tiger – that would be impactful because it's Charlie and because of, of the people, the casual fans that he can bring in. So, yeah, I'm I'm one of those guys who I've never been a golf guy. But you brought out the point that Tiger brought people. He brought me in. I would watch tournaments because Tiger Woods is playing in them. And I know nothing about golf. Nothing. Um, so I'm I'm one of those guys. And if Charlie can have, like you said, a fraction of that kind of success, he will bring me back as well. Well, I'm, I'm sure there are situations like this across sports, but man, you look at someone like, like Phil, any other era that didn't involve Tiger, he's probably the guy. But he just happened to have a career that lined up almost perfectly with that of Tiger Woods. And <laughs> as a result, he never reached that pinnacle. Now, if you just take his numbers and you put them against any any golfer not named Tiger Woods, they're amazing. But he played Absolutely. in an era where he was competing week in and week out against maybe the greatest golfer of all time. And, man, it, it, it's, it sucks. Like it, it, it is tough. <laughs> it, is, it is tough. Like you said, if there's no Tiger Woods and there's just Phil, we're calling Phil like Phil's up there with Nicholas, and we're thinking right. maybe, maybe Goat-like. Tiger Woods is Phil Mickelson's Brady. Yes. He's his Brady. And it, it's it's unfortunate. And if if I'm Phil, like I it eats at me. It eats at me to my core. I'm just like, ah, Tiger guy. But you but you keep smiling, going, Well, you know, he's great. And uh, Yeah, you, you know, know, yeah, you know. But but I know, but like you said, you know Phil goes home like that guy. <laughs> 
So, Mo, it's it's Monday morning. What do we do every Monday? We 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 hash out, we recap the NFL week. And sometimes, Mo, I I come to you and I bring I bring little themes to the show, right? And this morning, the theme that I want to talk about is I want perspective. I want to keep things in perspective. And I want to keep the overreactions to a minimum today because I saw them about at about 7.30. And it's actually a little before that, like 7 o'clock, 6.30 last night. Uh, the overreaction started flowing all over social media. The Buffalo Bills are going to the Super Bowl. The Dallas Cowboys are frauds. And everybody needs to pump the brakes and relax. Dallas played a terrible game. They played a terrible game on both sides of the football. The offense couldn't do anything. The defense couldn't stop anything. And give credit where credit is due, Buffalo played a great game on both sides of the ball. Their defense was swarming. Their defense looked to confuse Dak Prescott at times to the point where he was pressing and forcing stuff that Dak normally wouldn't do. Offensively, they went with what worked, and they kept doing it over and over and over again, and it led to what we saw yesterday, which was the Buffalo Bills routing the Dallas Cowboys. But Mo, despite all that, I will say this. It is still one game. And if you were going to tell me after one game, the Dallas Cowboys are not still Super Bowl contenders and the Buffalo Bills, who were dead in the water two weeks ago, are now all of a sudden Super Bowl contenders, then I think you need to check your glasses a little bit and you need to refocus because that simply is not the case. Now, if Buffalo continues to do what they let's start with Buffalo. Buffalo did something yesterday, Mo, that they haven't done since 1991, and that is rush the ball effectively for that output. They had almost, oh, they had over 200 yards rushing. I think they finished around 230 or 240 for the game. Yeah, it was like 240. Mo, if Buffalo does that for the next three games going into the playoffs, I will secede that Buffalo is a Super Bowl contender because the one thing we have always complained about the Bills is they don't have an established running game, and they don't lean on the running game. They lean on Josh Allen. But I will sit here this morning and tell you that Buffalo came in with a game plan. Their game plan was to get up early, and once they have a lead, run the ball down the Cowboys' throat. And it worked to perfection. But, Mo, let me ask you this. What happens when the running game doesn't work, or it doesn't work early, and they get down 7 nothing early? Who are they going to lean on then? It's not going to be the Cook running back. It's going to be their boy, Josh Allen. And that's where the difference comes in, Mo. Because if they abandon this this newly found running attack, which has been building. It's not just, they didn't just pop off last night. I think Cook has four or five games in a row over 100 yards. So we've been building towards this, right? They changed their offensive coordinator in there. But my cautionary tale to the Buffalo Bills is we, you saw what worked. You saw a perfect game plan executed against a great defense. Now, can you stick to it? Can you be okay with Josh Allen only throwing the ball 20 times a game? Can you be okay with Stephon Diggs only getting four or five targets a game and ending with you know three catches or four catches for 50 yards? Can you do that over a prolonged period of time? Or are we going to find a situation where you're down – 10 nothing or 17 7 and you say no we're going to abandon the run game and we're going to start feeding it down stefan diggs throat again or is stefan diggs going to start getting upset because you're down 10 and he's not getting the ball and you're trying to stick to the running game i don't have those answers mo 
but you can't tell me after one big game against one big team that all of a sudden you're a brand new team with a brand new identity and now you're a Super Bowl favorite. I need to see it for the next three weeks and then we can talk about it. And you need to be able to be consistent, right? You said with the run game, what happens when it's not effective in the first quarter or it struggles? Will you still commit to it? Will you say, you know what, we, we just we, we will commit to the run game. Every game won't be a game where your team rushes for over 200 yards. But if you commit to the run game, maybe it's a game where you rush for 120 yards and you do just enough to keep the defense honest to where Josh Allen can go play action and get those intermediate routes, um, those quick slants and things of that nature. They've been building on the run game, I agree, with the change of the offensive coordinator. And last night, and for those who watched the game, cold weather, rainy, windy, um, you know, that was almost old school. That was built for a, a run game. It was amazing in a game where I think Josh Allen only threw for 94 yards, something to that effect, that they thoroughly dominated. And that's another thing. They dominated the line of scrimmage. Like, they ran it literally down Dallas's throat. It wasn't with sweeps. They were going right up the middle through the A-gap, um, the one hole. I mean, they were just running it down their throats. And I was impressed. I was because I'd never seen this version of the Buffalo Bills commit to the run game like this. But like you, I was caught up in the moment of that game. And after the game, I took it as great performance. It was just one game. It was a bad loss for Dallas. But it's not the kind of loss where I thought, well, Dallas is done. They're finished for the year. I, I never see it that way. For what it's worth, Dallas is still in better shape than Buffalo's in. In the bigger picture, Buffalo still got some work to do. Look, Dallas is probably not going to get the number one seed, but they're not done. And I still think they're a Super Bowl contender. They they just got the brakes beat off of them, and a lot of things had to happen. You're right. Buffalo's defensive coordinator did a great job of confusing Dak Prescott, who I think is the ultimate rhythm quarterback. And I took, I think they took Dak out of his rhythm early and often. And they controlled the line of scrimmage. That really was the key to the football game. They, I haven't seen Buffalo dominate the line of scrimmage like this in quite some time. So, again, an impressive showing. But I'm with you. You've got some work to do. And is this a blip? Or are you going to feature the run game even more going forward? In the middle of that blowout last night, the Dallas Cowboys clinched a playoff spot. Buffalo is currently the ninth seed. <clears throat> now, they control their own destiny if they win out, which they don't have a hard schedule. Chargers, Patriots, they finish with Miami. That's their hardest game left in their schedule. If Buffalo wins out, they're going to make the playoffs. But what will they do when they get there? We don't know. We'll, we'll ask that question later on. Let's let's have them win out first, right? Because in a season that's been filled with twists and turns, Mo, we've seen a lot of good teams lose to a lot of bad teams this year. Yeah. And I'm not going to I'm not going to predict it. I, I when we make our uh, spoiler here, I am going to pick Buffalo to beat the Patriots and the Chargers over the next two weeks. I'm not I'm, calling for I'm upsets there. in those games. I'm, I'm there. It would be shocking. If one of those teams knocked off the Bills, but you have to go out and win the games first, and then we'll see where we're at later on. If Buffalo gets into the playoffs, if I do think they can make some noise, but here's the thing, Mo, if they don't beat Miami at the end of the season, 
they fall into that wild card race, which who knows how that shakes out. So a lot of this for Buffalo is preparation for that closing game in Miami because that's their easiest route in. You don't want to be stuck doing this whole wild card thing with all these other teams. So we'll see what that shakes out like. On the other side of it, we have the Cowboys. They're in the playoffs. Obviously, they don't want to stumble the last few weeks of the season. They they want they want to get right and they want to do what they gotta do. They have another hard game on the road in Miami next week. You know that my after Miami's defense put a beat down on the Jets, you know what their defensive line is thinking, looking at what happened last night against the Dallas Cowboys with Buffalo's defensive line. Sure. So obviously, you know, Dallas needs to correct. If they go into Miami, they beat the Dolphins. All is all is right in Cowboy Land. You you lost to Buffalo. You beat Miami. You're fine. You split those games. If they go in there and lose to Miami, different story. Now you're kind of like, well, wait a minute. Are the wheels coming off? And that's why you can't make these grand statements after one game. You have to kind of wait and see what happens. So for Buffalo fans. Can you keep the running game going over these next two games as you prepare for that week 18 showdown with Miami? And for Dallas, can you just bounce back against Miami? If right. you can, then you're you're good to go. For me personally, I hope Miami beats both of them because <laughs> I don't want to sure. talk you're a about Miami fan. losing either of them. Right, right. You're a <laughs> Dolphins fan. You want the Dolphins to beat the brakes off both of them. I, I get that. I, I'm with you 100%. And with Buffalo, I'll add one more thing. And this applies to all teams but they're one of those teams maybe more so than most. Can you stay healthy, too, going down the stretch? They've had injury after injury after injury. And I'm just saying that because now that they're featuring Cook, you don't want him to strain a a hamstring strain or anything because they are featuring him and and Diggs is getting less attention. I'm just saying Buffalo has been, let's just say, hamstrung themselves when it comes to injuries. Can they go into the playoffs? Not just go into the playoffs, but can they go into the playoffs healthy? You and I both agree. When you look at the AFC right now, even with Baltimore's record, there is not a dominant team in the AFC, which is why if Buffalo gets in, they've got as good a chance as anybody to win it all. I I, I like the Ravens, and I respect their record, but I don't think they're a dominant team. And I'll say this, and and again, you know, it's all situational, it's all storyline, it's all what if, but the Chargers just fired their head coach. Does their defense show up next week? Their defense that we know has talent, do they show up and put on a good defensive performance against the Bills? And it's is it closer than we think it is? I don't think it will be, but who knows? We've seen coaching changes happen, and then the players play inspired the following week. Maybe that's what Buffalo is walking into. What about in two weeks? Is Bill Belichick's last stand knocking Buffalo out of the playoffs? You know, you know how he is. You know he wants to. You, you know, know he, he wants, wants to. to. So it is one of his last stands hurting the uh the Patriots in the draft and getting another <laughs> win on the record. Yeah. And keeping Josh Allen out of the playoffs on his way out. We don't know. Like all you don't know how these things play out. And when you look at just the defensive side of it. The Chargers should be a good defensive team. The Patriots are a decent defensive team. So what happens in those games, like you said, if the running game doesn't work early, do we see them go away from it and start leaning into Josh Allen and start getting back into some of those habits that were causing them games or costing them to lose games earlier in the season 
we, we don't know. So we'll see what happens. Uh, moving on, we got the Dolphins who just, I'm sorry, Jet fans. You're not going to see Aaron Rodgers this season. I think Miami solidified that. Uh, you have no line to protect him. Miami beat the crap out of Zach Wilson. Then they beat the crap out of Trevor Simeon. I mean, I, I don't know, Mo. I don't know how you would put Aaron Rodgers in next week after what happened against the Dolphins. Well, I'm not putting him in because we're not going to the playoffs, and why would I risk Aaron's health? You know what I mean? Like I'm not doing it, and, and I don't know. I don't know why they would do it. You, you know, you what know if he what wants you have. to play. What if he wants to? If he wants to play, they're probably going to let him play because they he pretty much runs things over there, right? We can agree on that. He pretty he much does. runs things. So if he wants to play, then he's going to play. Which, ah, I'm, I'm not going to say because I don't. I don't risk. In, I don't wish injury on anyone. Agree. But ah, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't I w- touch it. That and look, it's it. You kind of knew it was coming. I did anyway. Zach Wilson had maybe the best game of his career uh, last week, and they come up against your Dolphins. Well, the problem is the Dolphins going to score points, right? When the Dolphins score points, now you're asking the Jets' offense to be out of character and and put. It wasn't going to happen. And he looked. It's kind of Jack. I want to say Jekyll and Hyde, but it's more like Hyde and Hyde. He he just looked. He looked more like his normal Zach Wilson, right? It, it, I I love how they kept panning to the sidelines at Aaron's face <laughs> as it was just getting worse, and he's just over there shaking his head. <laughs> and and you knew, okay, well, Trevor Simeon's going to get a shot, right? Sure, sure. Uh, it, it was going to happen. It was going to happen. So I I just think that you know what. I wouldn't play Aaron Rodgers, but you brought up a good point. If he wants to, then he's going to play. Um, well, one thing that I, I'm I'm confident in saying this, one thing the Dallas Cowboys game did accomplish is it knocked Dak Prescott off of the MVP mountaintop, in my opinion. And the only man standing there right now is Brock Purdy, who had another outstanding outing this week. Granted, it was against the Arizona Cardinals, the very gamely Arizona Cardinals, who put up almost 30 on the San Francisco defense in a losing effort. They still lost by two scores. But once again, Brock Purdy, workmanlike uh, performance on his part, four touchdown passes. He was efficient. He led the offense up and down the field. Um, yes, he has great weapons around him, Ayuk and Debo and, and CMC. But Mo, it's, if you're looking at the numbers, it's hard to say it's it's his to lose going into the final three weeks. So I think I think MVP is fluid, and maybe Dak was the favorite coming into this week, and obviously he stumbles, and now Brock Purdy has the opportunity. I think Purdy is the front runner, but Purdy could very well turn around next week and 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 maybe have a subpar game. It's it's a unique MVP race because usually in the MVP race we'll have like um. Mahomes and Burrow and all the way down to the stretch we go it's Mahomes and Burrow we don't go back and forth and this is unique because they've all played well um and and I do I still think Dak's in it right he's not done because Purdy could slide Dax what if he has a great game against your team and they're gonna go look Dax back right so um I think Brock Purdy's in the driver's seat but I don't think it's a lot it's it I think it literally comes down to the last week of the season they do get the Ravens. Is it next you got the Ravens? I believe so. So that's, that, that's 
That that Lamar will be the ultimate test. Yeah. Well, that'll be the ultimate test, right? Because what if Lamar plays big and he wins and suddenly they're gonna launch him back into the conversation? Yep. So like you said, it's fluid, it's week to week. Uh just like and there, there's no training. We're gonna discuss the Baker train in a minute because that, that's rolling full steam ahead. All right. But how about them Rams? What can I tell you? They're man? a playoff team this morning. They're the, se- they're the seven seed this morning, Mo. Matthew Stafford and that offense, because I want to say that offense, because it's not just a pass game. They've got a running game. JG mentioned it earlier in the show. Um, they can hit you with the run game, and then they've got one of the best receiving cores and one of the best flinger of the footballs in the NFL. And what he's doing is the running game is alleviating the pass rush, right? Because they're so effective at run blocking, they've been a, a lot better at pass blocking, right? Because you have, to, you have to respect the run. And now Matthew Stafford is stepping back. He's setting his feet, and he's eating teams alive right now. So, look, we can go way back to before the season when me and, and a few others were like, the Rams, I don't think so. Um, and you were the one guy like, I think it, I think they got a shot. And nobody could see it. I know I couldn't see it. Now, granted, who knew that rookie was going to come out the gates being what he is, like a freak of nature? Um, incredible. But to see Stafford get healthy, play to the level he's playing at, you got to give them all the credit in the world. Give the coaching staff all the credit in the world, too. Like, the scariest team, you can talk about the bigger names when you talk about Cowboys, Eagles, and 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 teams of that nature. But the scariest team that nobody wants to play, including my 49ers, we don't want to play the Rams. I don't want to play them. I'm not. I'm not saying the Niners aren't competitors. And they won't. Tr- they won't. They won't compete. But that's a scary team for them because they can spread you out, and that kind of team can wear down your pass rush. And that's a scary. It's just scary. And unless you have great corners across the board, you got your work cut out against the Rams. Well, that's the thing, Mo. You you get a team like that in a playoff situation where every play matters, every drive matters. And the defense starts to get a little bit tired early on. A missed tackle here, missed assignment there. They pop off a, a big play or a big scoring play. And things can snowball quickly against a team that can do that to you. Which is why, you know, I, I chuckle sometimes when the Dolphins get hated on. Because I look at it and I say, listen, get into the playoffs. Once you're there, it is what it is. All bets are off. Now it's one game playoffs every week. And when you have the speed or the ability to score like a Dolphins team does, like some of these other high powered offenses, you're in there. You're always one haymaker away from ending it. That's why Mike Tyson was Mike Tyson, right? Like no matter what, no matter who he was going against, he was always one punch away from ending it. And when you have the ability, and that's why Buffalo is always a threat, right? Because no matter how inconsistent Josh Allen is, he always has that one punch in his back pocket that he might land. And if he does, you're done. So you have to respect that as you get into the playoffs and just say, I don't I don't want to see a team like that. I would much rather see a workman-like team like the Broncos, who I know they don't have that punch. They, they're they going to have to take me not. 12 plays down the field if they're going to score. That's who you want to see. You want to see teams like that. That's what makes the Rams scary. So they can hit you with quick quick strikes, but they they can also hit you with a 
11 play 88 yard drive. Like yep. St- Stafford can he can carve you up with the short stuff and then when you play up he can get you vertically. So they're just a scary team offensively and because of that run game, the balance that they have, like I said, nobody wants to see them, not the Eagles, not 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 the the, the Niners. Nobody wants to see them right away because like you said, you you get caught up playing against them and it's play to play. But they're so talented, and all their receivers are a threat. So you can go, yeah, Cooper Cup, we got to stop him. But the other two guys, you know, we talk about how the Chiefs have a bunch of number twos and threes. You can make a case, at least for this season, the Rams have a one and maybe a 1A and a legit two. Like, they're that talented across the board with their receiving core, and Stafford's playing at the height of his powers right now. He might not be in the MVP conversation, but on playing quarterback, he's played to position the last few weeks as well as anybody. The Texans, I'm going to say upset the Titans. Uh, One, because they played uh, Case Keenum as their starting quarterback. Two, because the Titans love the majority of this game and it looked like they were going to walk away with it. Uh, But the Texans find a way to win 19-16 to in overtime. Joe Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco and those Browns looked like they were going to lose to the Bears. Looked like the Bears were going to keep the hope alive in Chicago. I turned the game away. I turned it away. You turned it off? Yeah. I was, I, I was like, what's going on with Joe with all these damn picks? I was like, I picked this guy. What's his problem? I was like, this guy. And I, I literally turned the game away. And later on, I turned it back on. And I go, what? What, yep. what, did, I, what did I miss? Joe, he figured it out. He figured it out towards the end of the game. And there, there was, I mean, let's be honest. Mooney should have caught the Hail Mary. He's laying, he's laying on the ground. The ball's in his chest. Just hug it, and you're good to go. But somehow he kicks it away from himself. I watched that multiple times, and I really think that it's very rare that you say you're supposed to catch that Hail Mary because it's, <laughs> it's a Hail Mary. But it was almost done so well and so easy for the young man. I, I think he just... I think he just choked it. He choked. He was surprised. He, he was surprised. surprised. It was it, it it was so easy. It he just wasn't ready. And I felt I felt for him. And yet at the same time, I was like, well, that means that means the Browns win. So that's cool for me. But yeah, I, I felt for him because that's one of those kind of things where you go in the locker room, you don't want to talk to anybody. And, no. and I and I get that. That that's just tough. That was so tough. The uh, the Kansas City Chiefs knock off the Patriots despite. Kadarius Tony's best efforts to keep the Patriots in the game. Uh, 27-17 for the Chiefs. They keep pace in the AFC as they try to gain more ground for the seeding positions. Uh, Tommy Cutlets, it's it's over. The story's over. One week later in New York, just the like Saints, that. just like that. The Saints knock them off. Uh, I mean, mathematically they're still alive, but I'm I'm calling it done for the Giants and for the uh, for the Bears. I know mathematically they're still there, but Two games out with three games to go. I'm going to call it for them. How about the Baker train, Mo? It just keeps rolling he on. He played great football yesterday. I was going to say, I thought he had played well all year. But yesterday, Baker had almost a perfect football game. He was a monster. Um, he was surgical. And I actually watched the bulk of that football game, and I was loving it. Loving it. I was like, the Baker train keeps going. Like, I, I think they have a legit shot. I think they're going to win the division. I think they're going to win the division. I, I know 
I know JG doesn't want to hear that, but I'm just saying I think the, I think the, I think those Bucks are going to win the division, and and thanks to the Falcons being the Falcons, I think they're going to win the division. 381 yards passing, four touchdowns, and more importantly, in my opinion, they didn't have to rely on Mike Evans. Mike Evans four for 57 and a touchdown, but he's getting Godwin involved these last few games Chris with Godwin, the great. volume. Ten yeah. catches, 155. That's what Brady did with Brady. When Brady had that team, everyone was involved. So Baker, it's not just Baker and feeding it to Evans. And then if they take Evans away, go somewhere else. He's getting Godwin involved. Uh, David Moore had some big plays yesterday. He's making it known on tape. I don't have to go to Evans every time. Take Evans away. That's fine. I definitely have another guy in Godwin who can beat you. And I have a couple of other pieces who can make big plays as well. And that's what you want going into the playoffs. Uh, and I'll be honest, it, it, in the NFC, it, it's a tough road when you got Dallas and Philly and San Francisco in there. I don't know if we're going to see upsets in the NFC, but it's a great story for Baker to get to the playoffs if he gets there. It is, and and I really think, you know, we're always talking about, does this guy deserve an opportunity to be the starter here or there? To me, if I'm Tampa Bay, I think I, I think I I I I commit to Baker. I bring him back. Look, people forget Baker Mayfield's not a guy that's in his mid thirties or anything. He's still a young man. He's still got a lot of football ahead of him, and he's showing you and a lot of other people he can play some good, consistent football. He's got better weapons around him too. I I, I want to say he's got better weapons around him too. So Baker Mayfield, to me, I think Tampa can be be his home. I think he's earned that. And I hope that the GM and, and the powers that be in Tampa realize this is your guy. You can keep this guy and build out the rest of that roster, but you've got your guy. You've already got your receiving core. You you just need to fix the defense in certain areas. But this team, this team could be a problem going forward for years. Mo, well, we got reports coming out of Philly that uh, Jalen Hurts is sick. Um, it's actually gotten worse the last day or two. He's been downgraded to questionable for the game tonight. Um, we're waiting to find out if he plays. It's a game that they need. They need it for seeding. Um, they need it for the division. Uh, it's, it's an important game for the Eagles. I think that Jalen finds a way to gut it out and go tonight. We'll see what happens. I'm taking the Eagles because um, even if he doesn't go, I think in a spot start, Marcus Mariota can get you a win. But it, it's going to be tough if Hurts doesn't play tonight. But I'm still taking the Eagles. Where do you fall? I'm taking the Eagles as well. I actually agree. Look, I know Mariota's taking a lot of heat because it didn't end so well with him in Atlanta. But at the same time, I've seen him play, and I'm seeing him play good football. And the Eagles have the kind of coaching staff. They can coach him up. They know his strengths, RPO, um, short passes, intermediate routes. They know what his strengths are. And they do have a good offensive line and a strong run game. So I, I think he has enough around him to where he can get them this win if Jalen Hurts can't go. So I think the Eagles win no matter who starts. But I think that if Hurts is as sick as they say, trust in Mariota that he'll get you this game because I think he will. All right, Mo. Great start to a Monday. Close us out, sir. Appreciate everybody that's in the chat. Always love the support. Thank you for everybody that's watching us right now. Thank you for everybody that will watch us later on. Check out all the great content that we have on Sports Empire Network. Check out the Empire.
make sure you're back here same time same place tomorrow morning jg will once again be joining us to talk major league baseball we'll have the fallout from the eagles and the seahawks game as well as much much more all of that happening same time same place tomorrow morning we'll see you then i mean you can see right now without lebron lakers are are struggling let me tell you about a team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboy fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this Oh, team. I'm ready. I've often said that the people who run baseball, they try very hard to ruin it. I'm from Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, from Brooklyn. Hey.